Welcome to On Coaching. I am Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Steve with the smooth late night talk show host voice. I love it. You know, I'm just bringing it today. I'm bringing it because I'm ex- I'm excited. This yeah. is, uh, you know, with with not much sleep, thanks to the addition of a new one, I've got to raise my game and actually see other people besides, you know, my wife and a three month old. <laughs> so I get to stare at your face for uh, for an hour, John, and and talk about something uh, that adults do besides, you know, cooing and. Mm-hmm. Ooing and eyeing at my uh, little child, though she smiles back a lot better. So Love I, it. I, I give her credit. But yep. time to time to have some actual conversation with an adult. Yeah, and that's what we're here is to give the people what they want. And let me tell you, the conversations have been popping and plentiful in the Scholar Clubhouse. As always, it's you know Steve's been busy, I've been busy, but we've been keeping tabs on it. It's just awesome to see what everyone's talking about. A lot of people are applying flux training successfully to their cross country program. Like this is really neat to see, and also it's just coaches helping coaches through, you know, different trials and tribulations that we all face. Because I mean, back in the saddle, I was just talking to Steve offline. I forgot about all the little things, the little conversations, roadblocks, hiccups. Uh, you know, insecurities, fears that, you know, color a cross-country season. And it's it's so refreshing to be back at it. But also, too, I'm reminding myself, like, whew, it's a, it's a fun job, but it's a big job. And it's, you know, a blessing and a privilege to be able to get to interact with student-athletes again and help guide them through a very common, you know, reality that is the uh, progression of a cross-country season. You know, it is a hard job. That's what I'll say is people oh, underestimate. You know, I remember when we were athletes and sometimes as an athlete, you look at your coach and you're like, hey, I wonder what he does. You know, we were always we'd always joke around that between workouts, our coach probably just played video games in the office. <laughs> and, then, and then you get the job and you're just like, holy crap, this is another. It's like teachers, you know, you don't understand the the secret sauce until you you go behind the scenes and you're like oh yeah this is a lot and it's it's funny in fact i have several athletes now who are in the ranks of both high school and college coaching and inevitably they all have called me Mm. and said i get it now and Mm -hmm. like oh my gosh this is a a lot a lot more than just showing up and writing workouts and, and doing that. And that's why we created the Scholar Clubhouse to kind of do the stuff and tackle the stuff that, yes, we need to know from a training and science and energetics perspective, but more so those things that you're not taught where mm. you have to discuss and have the conversations on how to handle these tricky problems that show up because we coach people, John, <laughs> and people are people are people. People are people. Yeah, 100%. So if you haven't joined only tap in the Scar Clubhouse, it's, you know, $35.99 a month, a dollar and a couple of cents on the day. Best continuous education you'll get and most importantly, the best support network you'll get. Um, that's live and interactive and, with you know, populated with coaches and athletes from around the globe. I mean, so diverse, so insightful. Yeah, it's, you know, a great deal in and of itself. Exactly. All right. So speaking of conversations, we're going to have a fun one today. Managing fatigue, understanding glycogen depletion. 
Oh my goodness. Sugar is your friend if you're an endurance athlete. Sugar is your friend. And <laughs> I can't say that enough. No, can't. And I'm glad you did because I, I want to get this out of the way. You know, I remember, uh, gosh, years ago, John, where there were these studies that came out of uh, East Africa mm. and they were looking at the diet of, of, you know, elite Kenyans and some on Ethiopians and, and you look at it and it is crazy. If I remember correctly, there was a study that showed that I think it was elite Kenyan marathoners, like 80% of their diet was, was carbs, right? Yeah. Simple sugar, and, like table sugar. And yes. And the vast majority of those carbs were, were just sugar. And, and I looked at it and, and it's like they, you know, I remember again, I'm paraphrasing, but the study was like essentially like they dumped a lot in technical terms. It was they dumped a ton of sugar in their tea. Yes. And this, this is like tea, then some bread and other stuff on top of that. But it, it really is. It's it's a ton of sugar. And yeah. I think and yes, other carbs as well. But. I think what we miss out on, you know, um, on, on this is that like we label things good and bad, good or bad. And instead there's like context behind it. Mm. And if you are training 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever miles a week or putting in the equivalent of, you know, time on your feet in training, whatever it is, doesn't have to be miles run, can be time on your feet. The mm -hmm. primary... The primary fuel source for anything basically moderately intense or higher is carbs, sugar, glycogen, right? And if we don't refuel with that, if we don't fuel with that, we're going to be in a kind of depleted state. And when we're in a depleted state, bad things happen. Yeah, it's really, I think it's really, really, really important to remember Sugar gets a bad rap in society for being the agent that creates obesity and fat, and, you know, and people overweight and what have you. And this is true, provided the activity level is super duper low. Well, that's the thing we always have to remember is the context is the relative activity level. Because glucose is our friend. Glucose glycolysis is the first step in a long chemical reaction to create ATP. When we work ourselves and deplete our bodies through exercise and endurance exercise and deplete that glyco those glycogen stores, it creates a signaling event that's primed for supercompensation of glycogen, of glucose. But that supercompensation cannot happen if the glucose is not put back in the body, if you do not dump a bunch of sugar in there. And so I think it's also really important to remember like the Kenyan tea is like this perfect storm of lots of table sugar milk and caffeine. And so we know from a glycogen resynthesis standpoint, certain types of sugars uh, are more bioavailable available and absorbed into skeletal muscles. Other types of sugars are more bioavailable available and absorbed into the liver. And the liver is the house of sugar energy for the brain. So a lot of times it gets a super bad rap, but it's about when you resynthesize or when you re-ingest or restock your glycogen stores, that is fundamentally the key.
and communicating this to my student athletes at Portland State now, you know, one thing we're doing is we are creating a um, fresh food smoothie bar where twice a week after they're kind of long and strong, more aerobically taxing threshold or flux threshold type sessions, they're getting a fresh fruit smoothie with orange juice. Like this, uh, you know, for example, the, the recipe this week was orange juice, kale, spinach, pineapple, fresh, banana, protein powder, right? And so they get all these things in there that's augmented with sugar. Like we have amino acids and protein and vegetables and all those micronutrients, right? They're so important, iron and vitamin C to help bioavailability, absorbability, right? But it doesn't happen without the sugar. Because when we're in that depleted or subacute depleted state of glucose after a long and strong workout, that is the time we need to start replenishing it um, from the from the from the rip. But a lot of times we don't do that, right? And then what happens is we start to create a situation where we start to become a little bit under recovered, and it quickly spirals to overtraining and excessive fatigue. Exactly. So let's. I'm going to give the the brief science rundown on how on how this process yeah. kind of kind of works for mm -hmm. listeners. So this is again the brief overview of sugar glucose, all that stuff. So let's look at it on this. First off is we have about four grams, roughly, of glucose that just continually uh, circulates in the blood. Mm -hmm. And most of that in the blood gets used, a majority of it, I should say. It varies a little bit, but majority of it gets used by taking up into the brain, like glucose is the fuel for your brain. Now, to, to restore that as we utilize that, we have, as John mentioned, like stores of uh, glucose or sorry, stores in our liver. We have li liver glycogen, mm -hmm. which then can be released into bloodstream in the form of glucose and then replenish whatever it is used. Now, in our liver, liver, we store about, you know, 70 to 80 grams of glycogen. Now, that sounds like a lot, but in terms of calories, you do the math times four, that's about 320, 300-ish um, uh, calories, which isn't a lot. If you think of, if, yes, we, <laughs> if we purely, if, if the only source we had to, to use for glycogen was our liver and then it was done, if we just used all of that towards, you know, running, we'd make it three, four miles, right? So it's not as much as you think, okay? So what does that mean? Well, fortunately, we store a whole heck of a lot of glycogen, which then can be converted to glucose and go in the bloodstream and all that stuff, or it can be used in the muscle. Um, we store a whole heck of a lot in the muscle. We can store, again, it depends, but the rough general rule of thumb is somewhere around 2,000 calories worth, a little bit less normally, but somewhere around 2,000 calories in the muscle themselves. So if you think of it as like, oh, that's where the big reservoir is. Mm -hmm. Now, that's important for a couple other reasons. So once, once liver glycogen stores run low, right? We can compensate in a number of ways. Again, simplifying, we can pull in those kind of muscle glycogen stores and start utilizing them. Or another source is we can break down protein. And that through gluconeogenesis, that protein mm -hmm. goes to glucose. And it can say, hey, I'm running low on liver glycogen. 
like this protein, we're going to cover it. Well, that's okay to degree, but it can be kind of bad for us because what's, what's protein? Protein is the building blocks for muscles. Where is that stored? Well, it's the muscles. It's the, the tissue in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's the building blocks for that tissue. It's when we recover, what are we doing by taking protein? We're trying to increase protein synthesis, which means like the building up of those protein, you know, blocks into something productive like muscle, et cetera, mm-hmm. or other material. So stepping back, we say all this science. Well, what does all this mean? Well, we're trying to keep that glucose stores in both for our brain, for our muscles, for everything working at an appropriate level. If we run low on liver glycogen, our brain freaks out a little bit and says, start breaking down protein or start getting that muscle, you know, glycogen going a little bit. So this is why now let's step back a bit again. So what happens if we start depleting muscle glycogen, if we've depleted it, we've gone on a really long run or we've stacked a lot of workouts and hard, high volume stuff back to back to back to back and not restored. Hmm. Well, if our muscle glycogen starts running low and our liver glycogen can only store, you know, about 300 calories is if we start utilizing that, what do we get? We get into a catabolic state. Hmm. Our body goes, we need to remind rely more on this gluconeogenesis, this breakdown of protein, and we get, we don't recover. We get in a spot where we don't adapt to things. Mm -hmm. And this is why muscle glycogen, again, not the entire reason, but one of the main reasons that muscle glycogen restoring that, especially for endurance athletes, is so freaking important okay science science lesson over john hopefully we're all on the same page now yeah it's you know it's a constant like recycle and reuse process right you ingest glucose in the form of sugar you have glucose sucrose fructose lactose all these different sugar types but eventually the end game is to get it stored as stored sugar which we call glycogen and then eventually to liberate it through a catabolic event that we call, you know, the Krebs cycle, ATP, blah, 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 blah. The idea, the practical application is very simple. A endurance athlete is a high carbohydrate animal, you know, but it doesn't also mean low protein, right? It means they're high carbohydrate and high protein because we also know that when enough sugar is present in the face of enough protein, that the synthesis of protein uptake in the body in the skeletal muscles also is augmented. So it's one of those things where it's like people have a lot of isms about diet and sugar and training in the world of athletics, but it's where you always have to ask, what's the evidence? Where is this based? And you'll hear all these wild different social media, you know, um, propagate, uh, propaganda narratives about this sugar, that sugar, this is bad, this is good, it causes inflammation. But if you've ever hung out with like Kenyans and, you know, world-class Kenyan marathoners, the amount, I think I calculated out one day, it was like, essentially like they're eating like eight grams of sugar per like kilogram of body weight, something absurd. I mean, that's a lot, a lot of glucose they're uptaking. Then arouse them 
to bounce back more quickly between workouts and also have higher energy. And that's what you start to see, right, is in the real day-to-day application, when someone's like subacutely or acutely um, glycogen depleted, they might start off the season or even start off the week, the training week, in good spirits. But then it's like they get fatigued and they feel more bleh, or they'll say, my legs are heavy. Because the legs aren't, the legs are the same weight they've always been, right? The legs don't change in their weight in the constitution of a week. It's the brain's interpretation of effort that starts to be aggregated. And then that starts to escalate. And so now a load that was easy in the beginning of the week when you had full glycogen stores or glycogen stores were topped off, now at the end of the week is very, very problematic or a lot harder because, again, the central nervous system is interpreting this as a more difficult ask and task because the fuel available to it is less. And the brain's always making calculations in the future. How much longer can I sustain this output or this intensity? before I get to a space where I have to stop or fuel becomes excessively limited. You know, I'm glad you brought that out because I think this is another one of the great misnomers. And that is um, that the brain is predictive. Mm. So it's not like the way I like to think of it is it's not like a car where we just run out of gas. Right. And we're just like, oh, we're actually completely empty. Our gas tank is is done. The brain knows like if we run out of gas, like fully mm-hmm. we're we're like dead we're mm-hmm. like we're we're like catastrophic failure we're like we're gonna have to break some stuff down that is essential to living so yeah. instead instead of having the warning light the gaslight that comes on and says hey you're running low on fuel our brain essentially goes hey you're running out of fuel like get it done take care of it it now or else i'm gonna shut you down before we reach full glycogen depletion. This is why if you took a marathoner after they ran the marathon, even if they bonked and you went into their muscle cells and took out a little sample, there would still be glycogen stores in there. It wouldn't be fully depleted. It would be really freaking low, but Mm. it would not be fully depleted. And fatigue, especially in the glycogen depleting events, fatigue is often your body saying projecting in the future if we continue on at this pace, this effort, this thing, we're not, we're going to go dangerously low. Mm. So I'm going to make you feel really, really bad so that you slow down. Mm. And what happens? You slow down, which means that your body now can use fats a little bit more as fuel. So it doesn't have to dip into the glycogen tank mm-hmm. because your intensity is going slower, et cetera. So it's essentially, your body is smarter than you. It's forcing you to adjust um, before you hit this catastrophe that is on the way. And that applies not just to racing, but it applies to training. So as John said, if you get in this state where you're not kind of filling up and you're depleting, 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 and yes, you have some fuel in your tank, but your body's going to kind of project that out as this feeling of, this blah, this I have no responsiveness, my legs feel good. And and that is because it's, again, trying to slow you down a little bit because it's essentially telling you, hey, idiot, we don't have we don't have enough fuel. Like, why do you keep doing this? Like, go to the gas station and, and fuel up because like we can't ha- handle this redlining all the time. Right. And then you throw the curveball of 
acidosis and lactate into the equation while you're actually doing the activity. And I think this is where it starts to hurt people's heads because, you know, you're, you're, you're managing all these biochemical substrates internally and the expression of them is fatigue. But the fatigue, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum of fatigue, right? Different variations or flavors, if you will, of fatigue. And so acidosis, lactate, you know, uh, lactate tolerance type fatigue, that's a different type of fatigue than say like chronic or subacute chronic muscle glycogen depletion. And the way we know that the muscle glycogen depletion is problematic for especially endurance athletes is very simple and straightforward. The repair pathway is stunted. It's delayed. So that expresses itself as niggles that don't go away. You know, injuries that become quickly overuse in severe injuries or maybe like stress-related bone injuries, right? Shin splints that don't ever subside and get progressively worse. It's a very, very, you know, thin type rope to walk. But the same token too, as a coach, we need to be sensitive. So when an athlete's describing their fatigue on that day to us, we can then interpret it as really what it is symptomatic of versus we just generally put all fatigue in a bucket and we say tired's tired and that's the end of, end of it. We lose that nuance to really interpret what is going happening in the athlete's state of being either, you know, before, during, as well as after uh, a session. Exactly. It's, it all kind of <laughs> comes in together. And the the way I the one thing that I want to point mm. out here is often we get glycogen, we get it like coaches are like, yeah, I get glycogen depletion during the marathon, blah, 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 etc. But I think what we forget here is that during training, it looks just slightly different because it's the accumulated like glycogen depletion that gets us. It's not the one off workout. So in right. the marathon, it's the one off workout or in this case race in training. It's essentially what happens is we dip a little bit out, we restore a little bit, and then let's say we come back for that second run of the day, we dip a little bit more. So, And even if we restore, we're lower mm -hmm. than when we were when we start the day. Mm -hmm. And if we keep that up, what happens is it's just this slow degradation of, you know, again, to keep math simple, you go from 2,000 calories stored to Next day, you start at 1,800, and then the next day, you start at 1,600, and the next day, you start at 1,400, and you don't really realize it over this time because you think like, oh, I'm eating some food, like I'm recovering, like I have space in between, um, but the research is pretty clear is if too much is jam-packed in there, especially with varying intensities and lengths and volumes, all that stuff, um, you really can dig yourself a, uh, a, a big hole. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of endurance athletes and runners don't know they're in a glycogen depletion downward spiral because the culture, right, is do you work every single day a week, seven days a week, year round, blah, 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 blah. And there's, you know, there is science and metabolic validity to that. But one of the reasons why, like, I have Sunday as a day off in my program, Mike Smith has Sunday as a day off in his program, and I really encourage athletes to take that day off is because that's a glycogen, a big glycogen restoration day. And then, you know, every Monday they come back feeling a lot better. But even when we have, say, our Wednesday kind of, you know, athlete's choice about aerobic restoration, it can be 70 to 90 minutes running or cross-training or hybrid or what have you. And the goal is that go slow, go slow, go slow. 
because you don't want to be burning glycogen. You only want to augment the resynthesis of it through a little blood flow and a little aerobic restoration because the reality is when you come back then the following days, the resynthesis time horizons, even if you dump a whole bunch of sugar in your body, eat a whole lot of pasta and you just go for the simple carbs, right? The simple sugars, that still takes much longer than we want. It's anywhere from you know, 36 to like 90, you know, six hour time horizon to get full super compensation. Think about that. Full super compensation is a pretty long, we're talking days here, days of replenishment. Yet we take it par for the course that we hit the stimuli every day or every other day or every couple day. And then, or we got to run these many miles and have this much daily activity. And then we start to get on a slippery slope where if we're not managing in concert, the amount of load and training we're doing with understanding how much refueling is necessary when and when, then that all these little aches and pains and niggles and fatigue expressions start to like almost like creep up or pop out of the blue. And then it can come to a point of like, oh my gosh, this is a point of no return. And now people are like running backwards or plateauing or not getting better or constantly in the injury cycle or constantly banged up. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, a, a couple other points to kind of drive home to to kind of get this for people. And you mentioned lactate and other things like that. But um, there's like other factors in here that can like impair this cycle. Mm-hmm. One is like muscle damage. <laughs> if if there is muscle damage, you're like resynthesis rate essentially of of glycogen, how much you can restore will be lower than if there was no muscle damage there at all. So think about it. Often we think of muscle damage in terms of, you know, oh, I go lift some weights and blah, blah, blah. But that muscle damage can occur at the end of a depleting long run. It it can occur, you know, after a very intense interval session. It can occur if you decide to run downhills and uphills and all that stuff or downhills and get eccentric contraction on stuff. So all of these factors kind of come in to impact basically your your rate of refueling. The way you could think of it is, you know, if you're fueling up your car with a, a gas hose, instead of just having one hose that sprays out, you know, a normal mount and you're filled in three or four minutes, it's like you have these different sized hoses, some that take days some that take hours and et cetera. And in depending on the context around it, the muscle damage, the other fatigue in that place, that can slow down that that depletion. And that's particularly why after a marathon, it's really hard because you often and sometimes after a marathon, maybe like Boston, where there's lots of downhills, you get um you have a harder time because you got into depletion, but you also have damage. So you've you've had to choose one of those small hoses that takes a really long time to fill things back up. Yeah, and this is like very predictable too. Like we just finished our kind of most difficult training week uh, yet in probably one of two for the cross-country season for the Portland State team. And it was super predictable. Like, at the beginning of the week, glycogen scores were high. You know, we did our Monday drill. We did our Tuesday, you know, flux threshold session. And, you know, vibes were good. People were in good spirits. You know, energy was high. Everyone's nailing the workouts. 
There was no need to manage anything. It's just like we were ripping and rolling, right? And I told the team like, hey, look, the end of the week is not going to be as nice as the beginning of the week. Like, we're going to do our best here. Like, you guys got smoothies, you got snacks. You know, I need you to do your part, you know, in terms of uh, refueling and having these types of meals and this and that, right? You know, we also give them Gatorade before practice with a encouragement to sip on that Gatorade all throughout practice between breaks of reps and sets on sessions and what have you, right? And then today, Friday, right, it was just blah. Everyone was blah. <laughs> you know, we came back for a second flux threshold session of the week. And it was more about managing it, right? I knew we have to manage it. Everyone's like, oh, I got some aches or pains or coach, my legs feel real heavy. I don't know why. You know, people were saying, oh, it's, it, the pinks is not coming as easy today as it was on, you know, a couple of days ago on Tuesday. Well, that's fine. That's fine. We're just creating a signaling event. No big deal. Like we'll manage it. And then by the end of the session, right, with the flex styles, everyone started to feel a lot better because again, we're creating an aerobic response without acidity. But still, you know, the vibes were blah. This is 100% predictable. I anticipated it. I would have been shocked had that not happened, right? Just because the density of loading that we subject them to this week was strategic in that regard. Now in the next two weeks, we're going to have that density pattern, right? Because this was the big hit. And so now it's going to take a couple of weeks of just, you know, lighter loads on the second half of the week making sure like they're coming back and they're having good vibes again and actually re responding to the training, getting that glycogen super compensation elevated so that then a couple weeks down the road, we can do one more week like this with intelligence and not get people hurt, not get people sick, not get them banged up. But when you don't like essentially know when you're putting your foot on the gas and then backing off, that's when it's like when every week's just a grind, which is so common, or you grind for three weeks in a row and then take a week off, you're really like doing yourself a disservice because three weeks in a row or two weeks in a row of straight grinding mileage or workouts or what have you, and then backing off for only one week does not allow a substantial enough time for full glycogen resynthesis to happen. It's a lot slower than we wish, and then makes the math of training a lot more choppy than we'd like. But we have to understand it's a living laboratory, and we have to be able to train athletes to get better, not just train athletes to work really hard and feel good about working hard, but then maybe not, you know, have the improvement pathway that we would predict. Exactly. And I think what we're getting at here is the, um, is like the respect of understanding yeah. the time horizons on here. And I just quickly, while you're talking there to kind of bring some science and drive this home, I found one paper from 2018 is, so think of this in terms of the long run, the traditional Sunday long run. Okay. Mm. Um, two hours of moderate activity. Okay. So think easy two hour run mm -hmm. is sufficient. And I'm quoting here, sufficient to markedly lower muscle glycogen stores. At least 24 hours of rest and consumption of a high-carbohydrate diet, they're defining as 10 grams per kilogram of, you know, 10 grams per kilogram of body weight a day. So that's uh, roughly, if you're, if you're, I don't know, 140 pounds, that's probably 2,500 roughly calories of, right? Carbohydrate, 10 grams per kilogram. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a ton. 
Okay. And if you consume that high carbohydrate in 24 hours after a long run, you'll get back to, you know, storage. So think about that for two things. This is a two hour easy run. Okay. Tons of carbohydrates to get back still takes at least not, not 24 hours exactly, at least 24 hours resting and that fuel to get you back to normal. Now think, think about that. Often when we think of long runs, we think of like, oh, this is easy. You know, unless we include something in it, this is easy. I'm going to bounce back, recover. Often, if you're college or high school, when do you do that? Sunday after a Saturday race, where are you going into that long run depleted? Most likely, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then you come back and often, like, you're not getting full 24 hours rest or more. What you're doing is you're coming back sometimes with a hardware workout, sometimes with another easy run, et cetera, but high volume on top of this stuff. And I'm just pointing that out, not to say like, don't do your long runs. I'm saying this, pointing out to show you the respect to get back to normal, to get back to fresh, because often what we tend to think of is we tend to think of, oh, that long run caps off the week. And then I start the next week and I'm, I'm quote unquote fresh and ready to go and ready to start <laughs> another cycle. Right. And unless you're like, again, 10, 10 grams per kilogram body weight in the day, do the math for you. And times by four to get the calories, like that's a ton. So there's a lot that goes into making sure that you're in a spot where you're restored, ready and, and ready to roll. And that's the thing too. It's when we say high carbohydrate, right? It's not only carbohydrate. Yes. Right. Yes. But you have to remember that it's not only carbohydrate. It means there's more of it, but there's also more protein and more fat too, because you know, the Orbital Rogers quote, right? You know, when the engine's uh, hot, anything will burn. And you need to really have a nutritional replenishment strategy that is as detailed as your training plan. And we lose the plot on that a whole lot. I think it ends up making, it ends up catching a lot of people on, off guard and they can't explain why these aches and pains are lingering or why they might have gotten like, oh, Pulled a muscle on strides on Monday after the Sunday long run, which I hear, you know, with more frequency than you'd like. And so we bring them acutely running fast on Monday for strides as the problem here. But really, a fatigued muscle or a tired muscle is a muscle that is, has a higher aptitude towards strain. So a lot of times that's what's happened is that muscle belly has undergone inadequate glycogen resynthesis. And then we try to command it to do something really fast in a really short time horizon, a day later, two days later, but yet we haven't taken into account that we are fully stocked and restored, or maybe you don't, we'll never get to there, but really, really close, right? And that's the game is like, how close to full resynthesis can you get with the various time horizons? And so we know now that it is way more intelligent to take one day off from training every six weeks, because even though we count training in seven day periods, if you're running, you know, hundred miles a week in a, you know, 21 day period, right? That's 300 miles. When do you actually get a period of restoration, true restoration, or people are shocked when the Kenyans like, oh no, Sunday, completely off. We just go to church because we're, we're constantly thinking we have to signal, 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 signal the Mount Ball pathway by any mean necessary, but it's a costly trade-off, right? because we don't allow the ability for us to recover, restore those, that sugar in our muscle bellies to be able to fuel us for the next 
condensed period, whether it's six days, five days of loading that lay ahead. So that's the reality, right? It's always going to be about trade-offs, but we know that rest is a magic agent for recovery and more enlightened programs and coaches and athletes understand the value of a day completely off, re relaxing, doing nothing, being super lazy, and eating a whole bunch because that's where a magic happens is by free, having that big refuel day that can get you through your next week of activity. It, exactly. And I think that's what we're trying to get at here is like, it's, it's, it, you more and more now, you have to be mm -hmm. deliberate and intentional on how you're responding to the load that you're placing on the body. And a lot of that is nutritionally. Mm -hmm. Like if we can nail the nutrition, it's going to support not only the recovery, but also as we know, uh, and I've talked about before in terms of protein and other things like the adaptation that occurs. Mm -hmm. If there is no nutrition there to support the adaptation, that adaptation does not occur in the way that it's it could. You're essentially doing the work and then saying, ah, I'll take 60% of the, the, the goods or the benefits from this because you didn't support the work adequately. Yeah. And that's, and that's really, again, the plan in place, like for us here, like at Portland State, right? It's about understanding we're going to work, but then also we're going to, we're going to plan our work intelligently and plan our restoration intelligently. So for example, you know, we go through two, three day mini blocks that constitute our week, right? Monday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Monday is always kind of more of a post-activation potentiation, like a faster, speedier day or stairs or, you know, 200s, maybe a little bit of light aerobic support type work, a 2K or something steady at the end. It's kind of like, as one athlete described to me, she said, it's kind of like a run with some stuff in it, to use the famous Steve Magnus quote. And I was like, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's a run with some stuff in it. But then we go through and we, uh, you know, give them a snack afterwards. And then they go in the weight room and do dynamic movements, like more functional movements, like that are not heavy loading, but like moving through, you know, a high range of motion for joint and tissue health. And immediately after that session, it's only half an hour, they get a muscle milk, right? The next day is our heavy loading day where we do, you know, we're going in with a little bit of purposeful sub-acute, um, you know, chronic uh, glycogen um, fatigue uh, and, and depletion and, and that resulting fatigue. But then we also know that that creates a really high mitochondrial biogenesis signal. So it's purposeful. We manage it. And we get through this kind of flux style aerobic session, either, you know, Ks in a flux fashion or excuse me, two Ks in a flux fashion or three Ks in a flux fashion, you know, several reps of those come back to our heavy lift, right? But after that flux session, they get a fresh food smoothie with a lot of carbohydrate and protein for immediate rebuilding and resynthesis of glycogen in the body come back to a heavy lift, and then get muscle milk after that. It sounds like a crazy amount of work, right, in, you know, a 36-hour window. It sounds wild. But the reality is it only works if you have the nutrition element in place. And then that Wednesday or even Saturday is our easy, easy, easy time on the feet or time cross-training, no big deal, just get the minutes in as, you know, uh, relaxed as possible just to help augment that resynthesis 
so that we can do it again. But we always know the first block, right, at the beginning of the week will be the better block where you feel better. The training effect, the higher training effect happens in the second block when we are purposefully subacutely depleted of glycogen, but we manage it. And like today, the legs were heavy, people felt bleh. By the end of the flux uh, threshold session, they felt a lot better. Spirits were higher. We did the weight session. We got the fresh food smoothies. It was the pathway we want to go. You know, for a lot of these student athletes, it's a new paradigm. And so like they're on, you know, walking on needles because they don't know what to expect. And they're like, oh, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt. Because the last thing we want to do is get you hurt. It's not what we're in the business that we're here to get you better. And so we manage it though, right? And through that management, then we start to get that improvement. So it can be done and we are doing it. And what we're seeing is a lot of benefit in people who might've been more chronically, uh, had chronic aches and pains. Those aren't manifesting as often or as much. Still, we have some structural issues that we have to deal with some student athletes, but we'll get there. We'll definitely get there. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought this uh, brought this up and outlined for what your athletes do. And I just want to highlight one thing that you do is that it's essentially repeated, consistent intake of nutrients spread throughout the day. Yes. And the reason I think this is important, again, that most people don't consider is it's not like we talk about the total numbers and like you've got to do this, but there's always a kink in the pipe. Meaning if I just gave you a ton of sugar once or a ton, just ate a ton of pasta once, right? What happens is there is a kink in the pipe. You're not, you, there is a resynthesis rate for both glycogen and then a synthesis rate for protein that like you will hit a limiter in. (laughs) Meaning again, it's the pipe example. Like you can only make the pipe flow so much at a time. So instead of like trying to stuff it all in at once, like the best strategy, if you look for both protein and carbohydrates, is to keep that relatively elevated, like all day, yeah. essentially, so that like you're maxing out that resynthesis rate and you're keeping that 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 pipe flowing at a pretty high rate throughout instead of high and then forgetting about it and then dropping off and then high and then dropping off because that's going to maximize both again protein synthesis in the muscle and then glycogen resynthesis in 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 the muscle as well um i'm glad you highlighted that steve because exactly it needs to be a steady drip of uh nutrition and, and nutrient intake versus a you know faucet all the way on faucet all the way on and this polarized thing i think a lot of times we think if we just get the number of, you know, macronutrients in, however many grams of protein or carbs, but we know like the body really can only absorb roughly about 20 to 30 grams of protein in one ingestion, right? And so everything else is excess. What happens, right, when you have too much excess macronutrients, no matter what, the only recourse for the body is to turn into stores for later, i.e. fat. So if but we, you know, have purposeful interjections, that are steady and consistent over the long haul of a day, we are less, you know, we are, we are, we're taking less of a gamble with training and hopefully like winning the war a little bit. I mean, it's not gonna be perfect. Life's messy. Like as Steve and I said, you're coaching people and people are people. But again, it gives us a little bit more liberty to be able to work a little bit more purposefully, a little bit more frequently and not be afraid of this chronic fatigue or breakdown that might manifest itself otherwise. And that's, Really, you know, when you, science is super simple, right? We have a hypothesis, we test it out, 
and then we see if our hypothesis through the experiment held valid. And that's what this is, the living laboratory. That's what training is. We can use these principles from papers or, you know, science and to encourage the direction that we can take things and do things. But then we actually have to figure it out and interpret the data, us as coaches, in real time to see, is this worthwhile and valuable for my athlete population? Can they sustain it? Can they hold it? Is the response the type of reaction that we want? Or is it the reaction not as, um, you know, positive as we want and a little bit more negative or corrosive than we had interpret? And then you make pivots. And that's really what I think people we can struggle with sometimes if we want a training plan and we want all three months and just follow it no matter what and just do work and I'll get better. And that's a great narrative. But if you're not always calling audibles and have, you know, as our, our mentor Dan Pass says, plan C, D, E, F, J, I, K, Q, all the way to Z. Like you're doing your athletes a disservice in the training process, I think. Absolutely. All right. So I feel like we've, we've hammered this one home. I think to reiterate, like there's, Respect the time horizons, respect the recoverability. It's not just, oh, I did easy, so I'm okay here, right? And then, like, really dial in the nutrition, not just in terms of, like, right after performance or exercise or what have you, but that consistency throughout the day to kind of, again, build up. And I would say as well, dialing it in during more important or more, I should say, it shouldn't say important, heavier training periods and blocks mm -hmm. understanding that like we periodize training like you might have to dial in and pay more attention to nutrition when it's during a block of of training where we're riding that edge so mm -hmm. being an intentional and deliberate on that and if you're a coach supporting your athletes realizing that they're humans and people and if they're college kids or high school kids it can be trickier but like meet them where they're at and support them in the way that you can, which I'm going to be honest, like, you know, we can strive for perfection or with college and high school kids, often it's like, get good enough, right? The, the Kenyans consume a ton of pure sugar. If an athlete is low on glycogen and they're just eating fruits and they, they're, they want to eat fruit snacks, celebrate the fruit snacks, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's great, great in that window. That's fine. So like, again, meeting people where they're at so that we can get enough uh, nutrition in it is super important. Yeah. I mean, the simple act is this. After your long run, encourage people to have a peanut butter jelly sandwich and chocolate milk. I mean, it's, it's, it really goes a long way. After long and strong workouts, that's the, the 50 cent solution. And it works. All the macros and micros are there. All the different types of sugar are there. Super simple, super straightforward. It doesn't need to be as fancy as a fresh fruit smoothie. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Well, there you go. Some more lessons from Steve and John. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed. If you did, share it with colleagues. Come join us in the club, the Scholar Clubhouse, if you haven't checked it out. Uh, you won't be disappointed. And with that, you know, best of luck as we get underway here for cross-country season and fall road racing season. So keep on coaching, everybody.